Good morning. How we all doing? We about to get in to the playroom. And I'm your host, Flav. Here we go. So we got a guest, by the way. So this is going to be exciting. First and foremost, welcome to the playroom. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. You're welcome. You're welcome. This is a, a great week to start, you know, an amazing podcast like this. Thank you for scheduling on a Monday. It's yeah. it's great, great to have you here because every time I'm on this playroom discussion board, there's always great things that come out because there are some things you will never find on Google that you will find <laughs> in a podcast. Yes. yes, for sure. So, yeah, I listened to a couple of them. I really like the one you had with... Um, I'm going to butcher her name, but the the woman from Nigeria. Um, Olamide? Yes, Olamide, yes. Very yeah. cool. Thank really you. Like Thank you. Yeah, it was a very, very... Um, it was not planned, let me say it like that. Because yeah. usually, what I love about podcasting is that it's, it's unscripted, you know? And yeah. just like for me, I'm into music, so I'm very articulate with perfection quality yeah. all those technical stuff but podcasts hey <laughs> we can yeah. say anything yeah. so that was a really yeah. good insight you know just to let people know about the nsars movement and the protests because we just want a better lifestyle that's all we're asking for so she brought in a lot of good insights and you know at least people were able to have a listening ear to know what is going on in that side of the world apart from just yeah. what the media tells everybody you know yeah. yeah, yeah, I support some ministries out there, so it's always mindful. I'm always mindful of what's going on um, out there in Nigeria. So awesome! Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So now we are in the We Don't Play Radio podcast station, and I want to know so much about what you do because your profile is outstanding, and oh, thank you. you're welcome. So I really want to let you have the floor as we begin. Okay. And you can tell me more about your digital marketing, your business, you know, background. What's the backstory? You know, how did you get here in the first place? Sure. Yeah. So um, I grew up in small business. My parents had a small Italian bakery and uh, they were amazing bakers. But unfortunately, they didn't know what they didn't know about growing a business. And so at the age of 12, that business failed and we lost everything. We lost the house. The car. I even had to give up my dog, <laughs> and oh. so it was a really challenging time. That kind of started me with understanding my purpose that would carry me through the rest of my life. Wow. Yeah. So what I did was I went to college to learn entrepreneurship, and um, left college with a degree and started uh, another bakery. This time, it was one of the first bakeries that was online. And so we were able to take a cake, put a photo on it when those were first coming out, and mail it anywhere in the country. And because of that, we won Best New Product at the New York Incentive Show and, and, and landed some amazing clients. So we mailed a cake to Jennifer Lopez, to Jay-Z, uh, to IBM, to Microsoft, to amazing companies. And you know, I thought, wow, I got this entrepreneurship down I'm so brilliant, I must, you know, what did my parents miss? Unfortunately, that business, even though we had amazing PR and SEO and, and you know, uh, clients, you name it, we had everything going for us on paper, that business also failed. And so at the age of 28, 
newly married with a baby on the way, uh, I was again in a position of losing everything, had to move into my uh, sister's basement and, you know, struggled. And so I said to myself, clearly, I don't know what I'm doing, but who does? And that's when I started my journey to work with some of the greatest companies in the world. Uh, you know, I ended up working with Ford and ADP and Google and uh, gosh, so many amazing companies. And then after that 10 year stint, I went back to my entrepreneur uh, roots to share what I learned that the best companies in the world do and have that everyone else doesn't. And that really is what I call the, the movement to democratize marketing. Tell me more about democratizing marketing. How, how does sure. that work? Yeah, so if you look at marketing, if you looked at it 40, 50 years ago, it was pretty straightforward. You take an ad, you put it in the newspaper, boom, you got some business. Then things got a little bit more complicated. You get an ad, you put it in radio or television or broadcast media, still can have a level of success. Then all of a, thing, all of a sudden things got more and more complicated. So you have the internet, millions of websites, and you need a directory to organize all this. You need Yahoo. Then things got even more complicated. So they have search engines, you know, AltaVista, Lycos, Excite, all these search engines most people don't remember that I, I was working on way back in the 90s. And then uh, Google comes along, you know, and that changes the game for everybody. Then what happens? Google dominates, but then social media comes in, right? And then there's even more complexity, more stuff to take into account to the point today, people are creating content constantly with Instagram. Uh, they're consuming media constantly through their phones. And you're not just competing for attention with your competitors, you're competing against Google and, and, and uh, Amazon and Netflix. And so it makes it very, very difficult. And really there's three main challenges. Number one, there's a lot of fragmentation. So before you could pick just a couple places to advertise or market, now you have millions of choices. That's problem number one. Problem number two is once you get through there, how do you stand out? And that's, that's the challenge called clutter. So there's so much competition for your attention. So that makes it very difficult. And then uh, problem number three is technology. So even if you find the right place to be, and then you're able to stand out with your message, the last hurdle gets many businesses, especially small businesses, and that's how in the world do I manage the technical complexity? So you say you got pixels, you got code, and your websites, and tracking, and analytics, all this stuff. It really gives a huge disadvantage to marketing. So that's the marketing revolution. My solution to that is to help people uh, through marketing um, and having it democratized, which means sharing really three things. What do you need to do? How do you do it? And helping businesses execute. Those three things have to happen. If you can't know what the problem is, understand it, and then execute on it or fix it, then you're not going to have success. And so that's my whole movement to democratize marketing is to help people with those three distinct areas. Wow. It's great that you mentioned about how it all started because back in the day, you'd pay thousands of dollars to be on a radio 30 second segment just because it's a hot show in the morning. You know, it's a breakfast yeah. show. But now you take that same budget and you split it across. People don't know what cost per click is. People don't know how do you actually get the results you're looking for because it's so cluttered. And then, like you said, baking, how many bakeries are out there? What makes your cake different from somebody else's cake? It's the same flour. It's the same milk. It's the same eggs. But that unique brand value that you bring as a proposition to your client 
or to your consumer is where you make that change. And then when you're able to say, okay, I'll democratize everything and just serve 18 to 34 year olds. Now you're segmenting. Now you're tagging. Now you're listing. But also you have the primary, you have the secondary, you have the tertiary. So when you use this application, how do you apply all this so that you don't miss out on the audience that's supposed to listen in? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I kind of set up the bad news first. So the bad news has never been harder to be a marketer. Like you said, though, it's actually never been a better time to be a business or start a business or be a marketer for that matter. Because, you know, like you said, you can watch things very quickly. You can measure it down to the penny. Uh, you can segment your audience and, and know exactly and serve a specific group of people. So there's so many things you can do today that you couldn't do before. So even though it's more challenging, the opportunities have never been greater. And so this is really the crux of what my mission is, is, is really to teach how do you do that. And what I found working with so many great companies, there's really six drivers that, that impact success. And the difference between what the best companies do and what everyone else does is the best companies have a, a strategy, they have a plan. They're able to execute on those strategies and plans. And so the average small business owner, what I always say is they spend more time playing their birthday party, their vacation, their wedding, than they do their business. And so the, the crux of the problem is, you know, planning can be a challenge. You know, what do you do? How do you do it? You know, um, do I, am I doing the right thing? You know, it's expensive, it's time consuming. And so my whole mission was to take uh, the process that the best companies had where, you know, at that level, you're sitting in a room with dozens of people planning for months, you know, it's very expensive. uh, And you have a a spreadsheet with 30 different tabs that say, okay, if this happens, you're gonna do that. If this happens, you're gonna do this thing. You know, it's very complicated. And so what I wanted to do was take that process and distill it down where someone could do strategic planning in 15 minutes Mm. on a single piece of paper. And so that's what I accomplished. And so I spent the past decade year trying to figure out how to do that. And that is really the crux of democratized marketing for me. You know, that's the tactical aspect of it. And so there's really just six factors that you can focus on that I'm happy to share. Yeah, please go ahead and share them with us so that we know exactly how to, you know, niche down. Yeah, yeah. So I have a, a system called the results loop. Anyone can download this uh, for free. And I don't even ask for contact information. You can go to smallstepsmanifesto.com and download the template. But I don't know if you can see, we're on video, so you can probably see it behind me. But it, behind me, it's an infinity symbol. And this is what the results slip is. So I actually use it to whiteboard. You can whiteboard on it mm. or you can get a sheet of paper and, and work on it. But it doesn't matter the process. But there's, there's uh, six steps. So step number one is identifying the markets you're going to serve. And so this is really the first step, especially if you're a newer business. And this is where you segment your audience. And you can you can look at your audience on a number of factors. What is their need? What is their pain point? Where are they located? Um, what, what products do they tend to buy from you? Any kind of historical data you have on what you've done before and had success, that's always a great starting point. So look yeah. at where you've had success before and do more of it. Very simple advice, most people don't do it. Or if you're new and you're brand new, this is a good thing where you can uh, leverage competitive intelligence. You look mm. at your competitors. What are their blog posts about? What markets are they serving? And then that can tell you either I want to go off into that market as well or choose a different one. You know, So you have some decisions to make. So that's the first step. The, circuit, the second step 
is very much aligned with it, closely tied. And this is your products and services, which I call your offerings. And so your products and services have to match the market you're serving. Again, fairly simple advice. Problem is most people don't do that. And so just take, for example, your pricing. If you're going after a high-end market, your, your, your pricing and your products and services have to match that. Right. So if you're, you know, I've been in the automotive industry for 15 years and fundamentally the car that's a Ferrari has the same stuff in it that the Volkswagen does. Whoa. Right. It's, you know, the same thing. In fact, Volkswagen owns Lamborghini. Right. So if you're yeah. looking at that, they're not that much different, but the brand perception, how it's positioned and, and the market they're serving is really what makes the difference because people buy that high end car not necessarily for the what it is but what what it makes you become right it's a status symbol you know more than anything so it's really important to align your pricing and your product and your packaging and all these things with the market you're serving you know you can go low end as well and so if you're going lower end you know you're going to have different messaging you know it's more the utility of the car as an example and so the, the key point here is to look at your markets and then match your products and services to that mark those markets and this is a great way to expand as well. So if you um, study uh, and get a master's in business, for instance, you would know uh, of something called the Ansov matrix. Ansov matrix is a fantastic way to understand how you can grow your business. And so what you do is you you take an, um, a diagram and you, and you have two axes. One of them is looking at your markets, the other one's looking at your products and services. And you ask yourself this question, what new markets can I serve with new products? Or what new products can I serve to existing markets? Or what new uh, existing markets can get new products? So you just kind of go through and you have four quadrants and you want to understand that, you know, that's a great way to brainstorm what you do to grow your business to the next level. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it because most people want to sell but they don't know who they're selling to. And if you don't have qualitative analysis like surveys or polls or discussion boards, forums, things that you can be able to work on with a focus group, then you won't be able to know what the, the, the client potentially would be looking for in six months if you don't know what to solve today. So I like the way you put the unsolve, you know, ratio because now it's like now you have to understand how much am I putting into this? Am I spending ads, advertising money or am I spending PR money? Am I spending influencer money or am I spending billboard money? Why am I spending billboard money over social media? Why am I on Facebook, not LinkedIn? So is that B2B, B2C kind of model type that most people don't really understand? And like you mentioned, entrepreneurship is a big word everybody uses now. I, I consider myself a, a creative infopreneur because... I have a lot of information about things that even I don't need to do myself, but if it involves you, then this is what's going to help you get forward. But also, if I want to scale forward, how are you able to segment all these things using the six-step process you mentioned and still get yeah. to that goal without being construed by different target markets? Yeah, well, at the end of the day, wherever you are today is a result of the decisions you made in the past. And so... It's not the plan that drives the success. It's really the process of, of planning. And what I mean by that is going through this process makes you prioritize. So you have to prioritize your time, your money, and your effort. The, that's really what's going to drive your success. So no matter 
what decision you have to make, it comes down to priorities. Because if you try to do everything, you're not going to accomplish anything. And so this process is very useful to understand, okay, which channels do I go after? And as an example, you say, you know, my market is a younger generation. Well, maybe then I would go to Instagram as opposed to Facebook. And so it's just a starting point for prioritizing your actions. So at the end of the day, this plan is, is meant to be a living document that's changing as you change and your business changes, but really it's also meant to drive action in terms of your priorities. So yeah. you, you, you deploy what your, your plan is and then you measure it and then you improve it and then you change it. And this is why, again, if you could see the, the diagram here or if you download it, you'll know it's an infinity symbol. The reason why it's an infinity symbol is because it's always recursive. It's always going back. You're always revisiting it at least on a quarterly basis is why I recommend. Sometimes, you, you know, depending on your growth and how quickly you're growing, um, you can do it more. Mm. Okay. That's a great way of putting into perspective because like, for example, personally, I was not a fan of Pinterest at all. I didn't care about it. I knew it existed. It's been around, but I was not really paying attention to it until I went deeper into SEO treatments for websites and all these tags and all that stuff. And I realized Facebook and Pinterest are number one when it comes to listing. So why am I not on Pinterest? So I started Pinterest September 6th, and now I have almost about 36,000 monthly viewers. And I'm wondering, did I do this intentionally or was I just planning to get there? Because I didn't have a goal strategy. I didn't say, oh, I'm looking for 50K in a month. I just wanted to be relevant and sustainable so that people can be able to be around what I'm doing. And I realized at some point, people, I'll get a notification from Pinterest saying, hey, somebody tried this pin. And then I'll look at the pin and I'll be like, you made a potato bread for the family. You never knew how to make potato bread because I put it in the food board. Now you're more lenient to understanding more. And you don't know me. And the good thing is that I didn't put the business or I didn't put my name under it. I put it as a business company so that you're not biased because there's also this form of bias when it comes to picking and choosing products over services like a Nike brand over a generic brand with the same quality, but no, because of social status, I want to have this acclimation. So how do you base those two so that you don't really fall off on your curve when it comes to marketing and budgeting, especially? Yeah. So the question, just so I'm clear what the question is, what, what's the question? The just question is like, how do you create that demand on a platform that you're probably uncomfortable with, but is needed because that's where your audience is? Yeah, that's a great question. So this actually segues perfectly to, to um, oddly enough, to factor number three, which okay. is value. So value is the critical component to whatever you do. And so what you want to keep in mind that value is an exchange. And so you always want to lead with value. And there's really three stages of a, a marketing or, or a sales funnel, typically. It's where people don't know who you are, which I call browsers. Maybe they're in market or they're not, they, you know, they're not sure. Uh, and your goal there is to get awareness. The second stage is where there's more of a consideration. You know, they're thinking about you. Uh, this is a lot of times where you want to get a lead. So you want to get their contact information. And then finally, the end stage is where you want to get a purchase. And this is where they're buying. And so each of these stages, there's an exchange of value. So at the top of the funnel, where you're getting awareness, which is kind of where I'm in right now with your audience, right? Nobody knows who I am. And so what there is, is there's an exchange. I'm exchanging value in the terms, in, in, in the form of um, hopefully <laughs> uh, interesting content, 
you know, some knowledge, etc. And what I'm getting in exchange is people's attention and mm. awareness of who I am. The next stage is if I have something even more valuable, maybe that manifesto, although not in this case, because it is absolutely free, but a lot of times they'll have what's called a lead magnet. So yeah. it's something of more value. Maybe it's a document, maybe it's a tool, software even. People will register for that, give their contact information in exchange for use of that, that tool or that, or that content, that extra value content. That's the second exchange. The last exchange is where people get a result in exchange for money. And so it's always important to keep in mind the result that they're getting as opposed to the effort that you're putting in. Because people don't care if you spent 500 hours on something if it doesn't drive the result. So the end game is really the result for them. In exchange for that, we're providing value. So that's the great way to think about whatever you're doing. So to get back to your Pinterest example, you want to leave with value and say, okay, what value am I adding to someone that doesn't know who I am that's finding me through this pin? And then how do I drive them to the next step of wanting even more value? So if you have, you know, the potato recipe that you mentioned, you know, how can you drive them to, you know, my top 10 potato recipes and get them to download it, you know, or right. a tool, you know, something to, to calculate the measurements or whatever it is. That's the next stage. And then you want to drive them finally to the purchase. So the key thing here is always think about the exchange of value, whether it's for attention, whether it's for uh, even more attention, their contact information, or ultimately for them to purchase. Yeah. It's, it's also a great model because that's also what Facebook does when you think about awareness, consideration, and conversion. But yeah. everybody wants to go to the conversion first. And that's, that's right. it's terrible. And um, I can say I was part of that list back then until yeah. I really knew what digital marketing was. Because, you know, getting a master's in business, understanding the entertainment industry, knowing the laws, the trademarks, the patents, all this stuff, people don't think that they're valuable until it becomes an asset to you. And you're like, oh, I wish I did this 10 years before. You know, yeah. so... It's the value that you bring into the table that really orchestrates the value they give back to you. Because if you go to an Apple store, for example, you know you're going to be served really well. You know this space. You know that you can see a lot of white. You know you know that, okay, this is a place where I can really, I can eat. You can, you can be in there and actually enjoy yourself compared to going to another store where you can't even sit down. Because you're like, oh, now they don't even think about chairs. What's in their budget? You know, what's in their inventory asset list? You know, so those are things that you have to think about. And now that you've mentioned about value, where would you put a new business owner that is having a great idea, just like everybody has idea, but can't execute it because of one, capital, and two, reach when it comes to either choosing between online or physical stores? Yeah, so the easiest way to grow a business without capital, uh, if you have a great product and you need to get uh, reach, is to leverage something called joint ventures. And so what this is, this is where you go to partners that are in that market already and have them promote it on your behalf. And what they get is a percentage of the sale, typically 50%, at least 50%, sometimes even higher if you're a brand new business and you want to go to an influencer. And so if you want to hit the market strong, you know, it might be worth to give up even 75% and just cover your cost because this is where the back end of your funnel can make sense. So if you know you can acquire a customer. So what actually, one thing to step back, one of the key things that business owners have to understand is two metrics. One, the lifetime value of a buyer. So how much money are they going to drive for you in terms of revenue and more importantly profit over the lifetime of working with you. So if they're with you for a year, and they spend, you know, a thousand dollars, and you make, 
you know, um, $500, you want to know both those numbers, right? Yeah. And then you want to also take into account your cost per acquisition. So how much does it cost to acquire that? And so the nice thing with joint ventures is you don't really have to worry about that. You're just giving away the percentage, but you have to know your, your profitability though, in that case, because if you only have a 50% profit margin, so if it costs, you know, $500, if you're giving them a $500 commission and you know, your cost is $500 to make it, then you're really at a zero sum game and, and you got problems, especially if you're a small business and not funded. So you want to really look at those different ratios. So again, just to make it simple, how much does it cost to acquire that customer? And then what's the lifetime value of that customer? But the cheapest way typically is to, and to reduce risk is through a joint venture. So what you do is you email people. I'm doing this actually right now for myself because I have a, pro, a podcast software that I just built because mm. uh, I did some pivots and, and I'm moving things around. And so I create software. And what I'm doing is I'm uh, finding, I have a list of 50 podcast influencers that I'm gave, giving the you know demo to for free or, or software access. And then hopefully they'll promote it on my behalf and I'll give them half the money mm. as an um, example, because I'm in that position too. So my, my agency, you know, declined in revenue. So I had to pivot into a new market that was growing. I thought podcasts would be fantastic. So I went into that market and then I am actively looking for joint. So this isn't just theory. This is something I'm actually doing myself, but yeah. by far the answer to your question, joint ventures are fantastic for this kind of thing. That's a great thing to think about because if you mentioned joint ventures, there's another potential like angel investors, you know, that could help with your business when you grow because these are people like, you know, angels, you don't know them, but they know you when they know your business or they know what you're about. And you can be able to grow your feed and just be, you know, authentic with them because people go on Shark Tank, for example, they pitch an amazing idea. They don't get it. But two years later, you see that the number one on Forbes list. You wonder, OK, what did you do behind these closed doors? So yeah. it's about that value you're bringing. Why are you even bringing the value in the first place? And then is there a need for it? Because everybody wants to make oranges but if your oranges have a kind of citrus that is imported from mexico for example and this is adding nutritional value to your lifestyle and you add a dollar fifty then you're actually bringing value to that person's lifestyle you know so right. it's not about oh it looks nice or it feels good it's like do i am i gonna buy this again because repeat buyers are really hard to get nowadays honestly from a small business standpoint but like you mentioned with joint ventures do they do the work for you or do they just invest and then you have your business plan to follow through? Okay. So just to clarify, so, um, angel investors are more invest or, or investors. So these are people that will give you money to get your business off the ground. Right. Um, and that can be a little risky cause they can take, you know, a good amount of the business take control and even kick you out. And so that is a little risky. Uh, joint ventures on the other hand are not really, um, there, there's no ownership in you. So oh. another term for, for uh, joint ventures is in many ways it's referred as affiliate marketing. And so this is people that have no ownership in your company. They're simply giving you the sale, you know, the lead and the, and the, and the customer essentially for that sale and in return they're getting a percentage of the profit. So the angel investor is getting a percentage of your company. The joint venture partner is getting a percentage of the revenue from the, the sale of the product. So mm. completely two different beasts. Yeah. Uh, the joint venture is, is the best way to do it. And in fact, that's how some of the biggest companies grow. So when we, when I was, um, when I got Google's partner of the year award, 
the, one of the reasons we did that is because we did joint ventures. So okay. I did a joint venture with Google, and uh, we were able to drive a lot of new um, clients in the automotive industry to Google. And I also did a joint venture with Ford Motor Company. And so we did two joint ventures, and everybody grew. Uh, the agency grew, Ford grew, and Google grew. And so this is what a lot of big companies do. They do joint ventures. You see this, and sometimes some joint ventures are more formal than others. So in some joint ventures, it's literally they just hand you the client, you sell it, and you give them a commission. Other times, you might have more more alignment in, in terms of like um, – you know, Starbucks might come out with a coffee. It's got a special, you know, Hershey's syrup or something in it. Right. And so Hershey's doesn't have ownership in Starbucks or vice versa. In this example, they're just aligning themselves. They're, they're doing a joint venture to sell a product that has both of their branding in it. And mm. so this happens all the time in the corporate world. Small businesses don't even think about it. I have no idea why, but it's probably the easiest and quickest way to grow without a lot of risk. I think the next question would be, Somebody thinking about this, let's say potentially wanting to drive this information through, would not know how to start or even how to get through to Google, for example, or Ford. You know, how how do they even start? Do they Google it or do they have to get a referral? What's the process and, of course, the timeline so that they are not overly drenched in stress? Yeah, well, at the corporate level, at that level, that would be very difficult. I was in the corporate world when I did that. I did not do the joint venture as an individual, so I would not recommend going to Google out of the gate. What I would do is smart, start with smaller companies, entities that are at your level, and so, or maybe a little bit ahead of you. You know, so not miles ahead of you, but a little bit ahead of you. So if you have, I don't know, ten thousand Instagram followers, find someone that has twenty, right, or or fifty even. You know, but don't or don't, and you can even go with smaller players. But typically, you want to work your way up to bigger players. And so, I would reach them. So I would come up with an email, send it out to them, and then uh, you know, give them a, your product for free. Hopefully, they'll like it and they want to promote it. Because if you're adding value to them, it only helps them if they're adding that same value to their audience. And if they get money in exchange for doing that, all the better. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Affiliate marketing is is big now. Look at Amazon, for example. People are doing that easily with their YouTube channels, and it's driving a lot of traffic. But now with digital marketing and being more specific, now let me go into the deep blue ocean strategy type of model, where now you have an audience and there's a competition for that audience. But what you bring uniquely to that audience changes the paradigm shift for example a disruptive brand like airbnb you know they are very very tech savvy and also consumer friendly but at the same time you'd rather go to a hotel and get that experience so somebody who is starting a new business now would want to understand okay should i partner up with this company because i sell blankets you know like how how specific should it be? And I know you mentioned like you can be able to, you know, reach out to these influencers who are a little bit higher or, you know, more than you in terms of reach. But also when somebody wants to spend ads money and also influencer money, where is that balance, you know, um, pivoted at? Yeah. So, um, again, just to clarify one thing. So with affiliate marketing, there's two sides to affiliate. Okay. Right? There's affiliate that's doing the sale yeah. and there's affiliate that's doing the promotion. So what I was mentioning before is being the, um, the affiliate that's doing the sale, not the promotion. So in other words, I have the product, I'm going to pay the people 
to promote me. So I'm going to be giving out the affiliate commission as opposed to getting it in. And that, in fact, is how Amazon grew, you know, 20 years. Um, but we're going to get back shortly. Just to let you guys know, We Don't Play is a great station for information and otherwise. So you have to stay glued, stay in check, know what you're serving, know who you're serving to. Understand why you're serving in the first place, because when you understand why you're serving, then you can build that demand for attention. And then attention is going to build a lot of trust. And when you build that trust, you build retention and eventually you make a purchase or sale and then that increases your value. (sighs) We're going to be very business resilient. And um, this is part of social media, you know, that brings in the the key results. So I want to really, really thank you guys also for being on this platform and just being a part of this great success. So um, we are talking about affiliate and affiliate marketing. And what I was saying is being the affiliate, in other words, um, getting the affiliates to sponsor you was one of the fastest ways that Amazon grew 20 years ago. And so there's really two sides to affiliates. So you can be in the affiliate game and sell other people's products like the blankets or whatever. That's a great business model as well. But what I was referring to is if you have a startup, one of the cheapest ways to get it out, especially if you have a fantastic product, that's really the first step, is to leverage affiliates to promote you on your behalf because you're you're limiting the risk and you're in, in exchange you're just giving you know a higher percentage of the sale. Okay, that's a great point to put. And then if you think about the people you're actually working with, when you think about the legal side of things, how do you protect your intellectual property when it comes to digital marketing and distribution? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I don't worry about it too much. Uh, what I was saying, though, is I don't tend to worry too much about the intellectual property because at the end of the day, there's very little you can do to protect it. Uh, I have been through the process of getting some trademarks and some patents. Uh, so if you have something very unusual, uh, you know, that's easy. So the problem is a lot of times people can change something minor, <laughs> you know, make some minor change. All of a sudden it's not you know, protected. Right. But, you know, if someone's really concerned, it definitely makes sense to see a trademark, a patent attorney. A lot of times the basic stuff is very cheap. In terms of trademarks, a lot of times that's, you know, practically nothing, no cost at all. So it's the patents that are more expensive. Uh, but I would see a local patent attorney in your in your area. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Also, I... the other thing is if you're thinking internationally, yeah, a lot of times you have to get patents in every single country. So you have, to, you know, especially as a, a trade, uh, as a startup, you don't want to spend all your money trying to protect this idea because then ultimately you might find yourself without a business. You know, <laughs> might be, a lot of people do that. They get so nervous about protecting what they have. Right. They spend all their money on protection and then they have no cash to grow and then they're even in a bigger problem. So for the most part, I advise people, you know, to see an attorney, of course, but if, if you know, from my own personal preference, I, I try not to um, get too much protected. I focus more on the brand and, and building myself up and, uh, you know, building a great product that people won't even think about going somewhere else. Right. That's a great point you mentioned because I would say one inefficient way of, let me not say inefficient, an effective way of storing your information and protecting is having a website. If you're able to have a domain name that is strictly based on your service, then you own that. And then 
you're able to build that relationship with people but also people don't know where to go to get a website people don't know what platform to use they check on reviews they see this and that so i'm just speaking on behalf of people who want to get into business and have no idea about this technical stuff so from a digital marketing standpoint like you mentioned pick the niche you know exactly who you're selling to what's the product value why are you even bringing this value to them in the first place do they need it and then you know build that relationship model from there but also from a website perspective digital marketing perspective what are some tips you can give them on being resilient in business when it comes to retaining leads for example yeah so being resilient is really the ability to get yourself back up and so if you want to be an entrepreneur you're going to ride a roller coaster and so what i always say the, the easiest way to build your faith is to start a company because you don't necessarily know where the next check's coming in from sometimes at certain points in your business yeah and so to be resilient uh i mean what i learned from my mother my mother is one of the most resilient people i i know she um grew up during another pandemic essentially so in the late 30s she contracted polio and so from the age of nine months old all the way up to you know 13 14 she was unable to walk and so i always asked her how you know mentally did you withstand that you know she she was quarantined couldn't see her family um, had a lot of challenges, just, you know, obviously couldn't walk and her vision was always be able to wear high heels. And so what, um, what happened there was that they, the hospital, they helped her do the three things I talk about, know what to do, understand how to do it, and then finally take actions. And so for her, she started off with just being able to do some pottery to build up the nervous system, get strength. Then she was getting a little bit stronger. She was able to go in a pool and swim a little bit until the finally point she was able to walk between these two rails and, and take small steps. And that's really the, the name, and that's the name of my book. I named it after her because she was the inspiration. But to have resilience, you have to be able to take small steps. Otherwise, you get overwhelmed. And you have to know what steps to take, you know how to take those steps, and then you have to take the action. If you do those three things, there's nothing you can't overcome. Oh, yeah, definitely. Those are things that, it's like the fundamental entrepreneur 101 starter kit you know it's it's that thing that you can be able to look back five years and say if i wasn't resilient enough i wouldn't be here today and you you were very right when you said the decisions you make today is based on what you made before and i think the the underlying factor usually for people is how do i package this you know people like to use free products like canva you know, all this visual display because people love visual, you know, um, content. They love things that are quick to digest, quick to use. They'll go search it on Google, find the results, and they're happy, and they'll follow you for more. But now, from a business standpoint, like you have the the manifesto now, from your end, how have you experienced free versus paid content when it comes to retaining a business as an entrepreneur in a competitive field like this? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, so I think the first thing we have to look at is what is value? You know, how is value packaged? And there's two kinds of value. There's real value, which is what I was talking about before. This is delivering the end result that your customer wants. It's the transformation from where they were to where they wanted to be. That's the first level of value. But the other level of value is really where you can get a lot more value in terms of money <laughs> to your business. And this is perceived value. So perceived value 
is is everything that's above that real value. So it's the people's perception. So people's perception are impacted, like you mentioned Apple before, by the branding of it in terms of you know design is a huge one. The the usability, all these things are what make that brand higher. You know, from a from a uh, individual perspective, it's your influence, it's your authority. This is where influencer marketing is taken off of. And so, what you want to look at is with free, you know, how do you add value where people would want to pay beyond what's free? Because you know, people always want to move towards the free, but they will pay for things that add real value and perceived value. Real value meaning it can get the job done quicker. So yes, I might be able to get the same information on Google but I might spend 10 hours doing it where I can get it immediately from you. Is my time worth anything? And so always looking at it from the lens of time, effort, and money. If you can uh, save them time, if you can you know, save them effort, and if you can save them money, you can position yourself as a better product from a real perspective. From a perceived perspective, people don't wanna take a lot of risk. So if you're the authority, if you have the influence, that lowers their risk threshold, which makes you able to command more. They also look at status. And so status, you know, there might be a status from buying from you, which is why, you know, people spend $300,000 on one car and not so much on another. So how you package your complete offering is very important. And that's actually another course I have. It's actually not even released yet, but it's, it's really, cause I think value is something that's so misunderstood. I've put a lot of time and in, in research into really thinking it through. But there's what I found, what I discovered is there's probably about 40 or 50 points of value. So different differentiator, uh, differentiators that you can leverage to position your company as, as the no-brainer. Because you know, that's at the end of the day, your value proposition, which comes from your value, answers the question, why would someone buy from you as opposed to anyone else or do nothing at all? And so what I found is there's really 50 things that can drive that, 50 options. One of them might be, you know, uh, your affinity in that market. You know, so if I, you know, for instance, I've been in automotive for 20 years, you know, someone might want to go with me because I have that experience as opposed to someone else. It might also be based off of your, um, your community. So if you have a community, someone might buy off from you because they know they can network, you know, with other people and they might buy from you because they can find a potential sale there as opposed to just getting the product. And so all these things around that, which I call points of value are what, enable you to differentiate yourself and command a premium i like that command a premium that's a good one because i also see you know mentors people are able to charge high ticket prices and you wonder i have a funnel of 100 people but only three buy but at the price of a thousand and you're like is that a success or is that a fail it's below 10 percent, but your return rate is really high when you think about the value you're bringing then those three people leave reviews on your site and then another 10 people see it and then you have more customer retainability because now there's actual value like you mentioned that's brought in but think about someone who doesn't even know what value is in the first place but they just want to build a product or a service is there a certain strategy or a certain model type to follow or should you just should they go on their instincts their local base um competition like, how do they even get started? <laughs> well, again, that's unfortunately, I don't have it ready yet, but that's my next book. So I have oh. a book right now that's called The Small Steps to Grow Profit, which goes through the strategic plan work. Okay. The book that's coming out after that 
is all about value. I don't even have a name for it yet, other than to tell you that it's also an infinity symbol because it's also recursive. And there's really, uh, I think there's seven factors I identified that drive value. So if someone wants to download the manifesto, you know, or you know, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram or you know, any of my social media on my website, uh, I can send you an email when that book comes out. But it's probably, honestly, it's gonna be like a year. <laughs> but if anyone wants to see, I do have a cheat sheet on some of the points of value. I could send that over. But yeah, what I found is there's 50 things that you can look at and what I'm planning on doing is putting really just a checklist together and then that's an easy way to identify, you know, the ones that, that would work for your particular circumstance. Awesome. Let's also talk about product placement. How effective is product placement today? Like you're not putting a price tag on it. You're not telling them there's no call to action. It's just there. How effective is that? especially because you've had the corporate experience and you also have the entrepreneurial yeah. experience. How does that work? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that's difficult to measure, but what I can tell you is the shift of dollars has gone into that area you know, much more rapidly than anywhere else. Uh, so I think product placement is a great place to go. If you look at some of the studies, though, what's interesting is just about every media has declined in terms of spend, what's projected for next year, really probably due to COVID. The one area that's actually growing through all this is actually podcasting. And so I, that's why personally I'm putting more emphasis in the podcasting, uh, but also a lot of top flight marketers are, and a lot of people are, right? Everyone's stuck at home, so everyone and their grandmother is starting a podcast. The numbers have actually doubled. I think there was roughly 800,000 last year. Now it's already a million and a half wow. that are in that podcast. So what I always try to tell people to do is to ride the wave that's already there. And so the easiest way to grow a company is to go into a market that's already growing because you're going to grow and you don't have to be a fantastic business person. Just by the fact that you're in a high growth market, you'll have a level of growth. So you can make a lot of mistakes. You don't have to be perfect. You know, if you're trying to go into a market that's already competitive, I think you mentioned blue ocean before that that's called red ocean because there's so much blood in the water, so much competition, very difficult to be successful. So you're off always better off going, what I say in a wave that's already there. So ride the wave. You know, I did that with SEO. You know, I had a lot of success because I was doing that in the late nineties. You know, then I rode the AdWords wave, you know, then social media. But I really think my sense is right where you're at and where I'm at is the place to be. So I'm putting more and more emphasis myself into podcasts and into virtual summits. Anything virtual I think is a good place to be uh, right now. Right. And people would also wonder, because I, I do some search term keywords and I'm like, let me see what people are searching for on Google. And then I get to see that some people ask, is podcasting profitable? Are you able to monetize podcasts? And it just baffles me to think that people would ask a question like that, knowing that this is a form of radio, but just an internet format, you know? Yeah. But I think also specifically, they want to know, if I start a podcast today, how can I get this product placement that we're mentioning into a podcast, into a mid-roll, a pre-roll that actually creates that value, which is product placement? Because now you've heard a website, you're going to tap on the website, click on it, and then you're going to find other things that are in there. But from like a small business perspective, you mentioned joint ventures, which is very, very good. Do you think them getting into podcast episodes and you know pitching and saying hey how about we do some form of trading does that help with the visibility because now you're thinking about focus location 
gender-based. There's so many metrics to think about and knowing, okay, are these people household buyers? Are they going to buy my blankets or are they just going to listen to the blanket story? You know, so how do they merge the two when it comes to podcasting? Because you're also new in it as well. So how has it been for you when it comes to creating that demand, especially knowing that this is an untapped market? Yeah, so that's a fantastic question. So again, as always, there's two sides to the equation, right? It's being the podcast host and it's being the podcast uh, guest or the expert, right? And so my personal strategy with podcasting as a guest is more to drive um, authority and trust. And I use the podcast in my other market. So for instance, if I have a lead or a prospect that I'm speaking to, I will send them various past podcast episodes I've been on so they can understand the authority and almost like a PR strategy. And so it's also a great way to get my name out there. And also from a reputation standpoint, if you Google my name, you'll see the first, I don't know, 100 listings are, are all podcasts. And so, you know, it builds instant trust and authority for me. And so I'm not necessarily going with these podcasts to drive me in sale. And again, it goes back to what I mentioned before. You have to always look at the exchange. So podcasting is more of an awareness medium. And so you should be focused on driving awareness for your brand, whether it's you personally or, or your company, in exchange for the attention. And so a lot, like we've said before, a lot of times people make the mistake of going right to the sale, which is not right. the best thing to do because that's not really the purpose of this kind of medium. It's, it's much like radio. Can you get some sales and leads? Absolutely. But you know, for the most part, you're better off focusing at the top of the funnel. You know, from a host perspective, I think there's a lot of opportunity to sell, you know, like you said, sponsorships, you know, airtime. The key thing there is building your audience. So you have to have a big enough audience so it makes sense for people to advertise. And you also have to add, you know, what I always advise is adding more value than just the podcast. So you want to bundle it with other things, whether it's sending out an email blast, whether it's, you know, promoting them on social media. So you can then, you know, command a, a higher premium, like we talked about before, yeah. because they're not just buying the commodity, which is the airtime. You know, obviously it's not a straight commodity because your show is different from everyone else's. But the the bottom line is the more value we can add around the show in terms of you know extra promotion through social media, giveaways, whatever you can, the better the premium you can get for your for your advertisers. Yeah, that's a good way to put it because when you think about awareness and product placement, they're really undervalued if you think about it because you have a you have a post, you have something that you want to put out there, but because you don't think they're aware about it, you just leave it in the dust. And instead of giving people that 7 to 12 time impression standpoint and then leaving them to convert is now where you can't really control because you can't control someone to swipe that card. You can't control right. someone to make that purchase. The only way you can make that purchase convert is by before even them getting there, they've probably known what they're about to do with that product. Like I wouldn't buy a couch if I don't need one, you know? Right. So it's that kind of opportunity necessity. Is it in the market? Is it not? If it is, why am I adding myself in here? If it is not, then okay, how can I change the paradigm shift of people, you know, to build that, you know, social influence. So that's a really great way of putting into it. And, um, I would definitely want to check out your book, you know, and see what, what it's about. If, if people want to know how they can get to you or your books, um, what are the platforms that are on there and how can they get through to access your content? Sure. Yeah. Probably the best way is to download my manifesto. So what I did was I took some of the best things from my book and put them into my manifesto available for free. 
I don't even ask for a form to be filled out or anything. And you can get that at smallstepsmanifesto.com. And if someone wants to chat with me directly, I'm pretty accessible. You can go to my website, meettonyg.com and connect with me on any of the social media uh, handles through any of those. And, uh, you know, I can, in the terms of the value course that's coming out and the book for that, uh, just send me an email. I'll put you on the mailing list for when that's available. Like I said, that's, that's a ways out. But if anyone's interested in that, because I think it's such a great topic that no one really talks about, um, that's why I'm working on it. So if anyone's interested in that, feel free to connect with me through any of those platforms. Yeah, definitely. Okay. That's a great one. That's a great one. Do you have any question for me? I know I, <laughs> what, what, maybe from what you've seen before we got here, is there anything that sparked your attention? Yeah. Well, gosh, um, I'm always, personally, I'm always looking to learn more about podcasts and what you, what's worked for you and what hasn't. Cause I'm looking as I mentioned before briefly is I'm looking to launch my own podcast. So what advice would you have for someone that's launching their own? I would say, first of all, get the right distribution platform because okay. there, there's a lot of platforms out there that have podcasts, you know, and they're all great. None of them is, you know, higher than the other. It's just how efficient is it to your business and how are you able to apply it elsewhere? And I use Anchor. Anchor.fm is a perfect platform because it redistributes your content to all the social platforms. They also have an embedded RSS feed. And since you have a website, it's perfect for RSS feed attraction. Also, I would say connecting your website or your podcast to websites like supercast.com. It's a company based in Toronto, not in Toronto, in Vancouver. And they... I don't know how they found me, but they reached out to me and they're like, hey, do you want to join the Supercast platform? And what Supercast is, it's like a podcast premium version. Like you mentioned, you have values that you want to give people. So on this podcast, which is free, now if you end up Supercast account, you're going to connect your podcast to Supercast. And then subscribers, let's say if they pay $4.99 a month or $49 a year, and they are now getting exclusive podcast let's say you have a podcast that's one hour long and then you go into the nitty-gritties in the 30th minute you can strike it off take 30 minutes into your podcast take the full episode into your premium podcast then you start monetizing and telling people hey join this mailing list and then you're able to now build that conversation one thing i love about supercast is that they have a place where you can ask questions like ask me anything so now they can post questions on there. They can leave their comments. And then now when you're on the next podcast, you address those points. And then they'll be like, oh, he answered my question. This is another question. Before you know it, now you're involving an engaged audience that is literally listening to what your advice is and applying it to their lifestyles, which is what I love to use. Another thing I love to use is Audrey, A-U-D-R-Y dot I-O. It's another, it's like pod match, but it's, it's completely different where you're able to connect with people outside your, your comfort zone and you're able to actually search for the terms that you're interested in. Like pod match will be like, okay, this is what I'm looking for. This is the number of people that I find. But on Audrey.io, you can type in business and marketing and get 50,000 results. And then it's going to show you this person posts twice a day. This is their profile. Connect to them on a messaging platform. It's really great for engagement. But also for people who have just started a podcast, I would really recommend Anchor.fm. 
you know, put your content out there. Make sure you're always embedding it to your blogs because if you're embedding your blogs with your podcasts or you're using Pinterest, for example, you can always build that reachability by giving people more because not everyone's going to listen to one hour of a podcast, but they listen to 30 seconds and that could change their life. So finding those bite-sized information would really help. Another platform I use myself is StreamYard.com. You're able to connect Facebook, YouTube, and think LinkedIn if you're also approved all at the same time to broadcast because at the same time, podcast is audio driven. But if you have videos and you have conferences and you have, you know, little talks here and there, you can be able to all put that all in into anchor.fm and start building your reach from there. Another great tip is that when you create a title, like you know much about SEO as well. So on your title, those keywords that are channeling to that business or to that reach is where you're really focusing on because at some point your podcast is going to start getting relative results. Like for me now, I see people like Dave Ramsey, Tim Ferriss, Gary V. They are on my suggested list. I didn't add none of their keywords in, but because of the value I was adding to the titles and to the search terms, that was able to give me that relatability. And it's it, of course, they're not going to give you an algorithm that doesn't work. So if I'm talking about business finance but that's not my focus point but i touched on it it's gonna help somebody else say okay let me search for this because now with apple Podcasts, you can be able to search for a term if you don't know the name of this podcast we don't play podcast you can search for my name now which is my stage name flav beats and you will see all the podcasts i was in featured or hosted in and now it gives that algorithm a reason to search for you more Another great place to check out, and I just learned this from um, my previous interview. Her name is Sarah, and she was talking about ratethispodcast.com. If you go to ratethispodcast.com, you can connect your podcast to it, let people rate you, and then they can now choose the desired preferred service that they want to get on. So there's Podbean, there's Spotify, there's Podkite. I just learned about Podkite.com. And Podkite is a way you can be able to be on the rankings because as soon as you're on all these platforms from one source, it's like you're distributing excessively that now you don't even know where people are listening from because on Anchor, it shows you the results, the statistics. And even for me, there's a section that is just all blacked out. I have listeners from Apple Music, sorry, Apple Podcasts, from Spotify, but there's a huge black section that is like about 53%. But I know that's coming from my RSS feed because it's not, it's un, what, what's the word I'm looking for? It's uncategorized. That's the word I'm looking for. So if it's uncategorized, it doesn't mean that it's not being seen. It just means that people are probably preferring that method as opposed to, oh, I don't have Apple, I don't have an iPhone, I don't have an Android, what do I do? If I'm always on my web, okay, I can type in anchor.fm forward slash Tony G and I'm going to get everything I want from there. And then you start putting your podcast, putting your name, having a very, very good um, picture because when I started my podcast last year, I started last year with the intention of just building traffic and just giving out information because I couldn't put all that into YouTube videos at, well, at once. And when I did that, I didn't even have my face on it. And I was able to scale to about a thousand plays within the first year. But something was like, if you don't put a face to it, sometimes they want to know who you really are. And that drives even more conversions because when they see your face, they'll be like, okay, what is he talking about? Then you have featured podcasts, you have guest podcasts. Now you're, you're really tapping into their market because they're like, how do you even meet all these people where everybody's quarantined? What do you do? So now you're in this virtual space, like you mentioned, 
And the virtual space is now giving you an opportunity to show your skills, show what you're able to push out. And then from there with Anchor, connected to your website, connected to your YouTube. Um, another great place to check out is Headline, headliner.com. Headliner.com is great for podcasting and it also gives you some captions, waveforms. You can be able to get long form episodes. It's also auto generated if you connect your podcast to it. So these are all different platforms that I've been able to find over time. Within the first year, I didn't even know any of this website I just mentioned to you. Wow. It was all just research, research, research. Some people will email me on my work email and say, hey, we found you here. And I'm like, oh, what is this about? Now I know Supercast. Now I know, okay, I have a subscription model. Oh, now I can have a joint mailing list. So when people find, like you mentioned, all goes down to value. If people are able to value your podcast, value your content, value whatever you're talking about, and then you're able to monetize it, I think people will pay four ninety nine a month to listen to what you have to say every day, you know? So yeah. that's that's how I started, and now I'm not looking back. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, hopefully I can... Uh, you should make that as a blog post, because that way I can get all that. I can write down the list, so I'd love <laughs> to get that as a blog post. Oh, yeah, definitely. This will be out as a blog post, and I'll also email you as well, so you can also have the exclusivity of it. And another yeah. great tip, too, is um, this website called Compressor.io. If you're big on websites, if you're big on content, people don't like loading pictures slow. You know, like nowadays, this is a fast age. You, people want to get things quickly. So if you have a picture that's about 5 MB and you go to compressor.io, you're now going to compress that image as a lossy format to probably about 1,000 KB, which is about 1 MB. And now that 1 MB has saved people 4 MB of loading time, which, of course, lowers your bounce rate which of course increases your reachability and your search results. So it's all those little technical things that can really, really sure. boost your, your reach within a short yeah. time. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I learned a lot there. So that's good. You're welcome. Anytime, anytime. And before we go, what's one thing you'd want to tell small business entrepreneurs that want to start and what, what would be a word of advice for them to take home if there's anything that they learned today? What would be the one thing yeah, you want to leave them with? Sure. Well, actually, I'm a musician as well. So you oh. Uh, so um, what I learned, I played violin, actually, professionally for a while. And when I was in the conservatory, my teacher taught me a very valuable lesson that applies to both life and business. And that was to slow down, to speed up. And so I wanted to learn, you know, I, the Mendelssohn Violin Control, if you ever heard of it. Very difficult piece, lots of notes. And I just kind of wanted to, to wing it on the hard stuff, get right to the easy melodies, enjoy that, and then kind of blow through the hard stuff again. And he told me the importance of slowing down, practicing slow, taking it note by note until I can go faster and faster and get it down, as opposed to just kind of, you know, going through it. And so it's important to slow down to speed up because in business – you know, how many of us have made the wrong decisions, whether it's hiring the wrong person, doing the wrong advertising, the wrong area, uh, just bad decisions really, like we talked about before, really hurt you and your future. And so a lot of times if you can slow down, have a strategy, have a plan, know what you need to do and how to do it, that makes life so much less painful. And so that would be my main takeaway is to slow down and speed up and then that will help you accomplish your goals. Yeah, I think this is this has been one informative podcast that people should, you know, rewind, listen to again, understand, Google some terms if you didn't know what they mean, because we don't have much time to explain everything. But I think 
this shows the infinity curve of how you can be able to build your business. And it makes a lot of sense because I play the drums and it makes total sense. Self-taught at the age of six, started playing the drums, understanding, okay, this is rhythm, this is beat. Now I applied that into my music when I'm making lyrics. How am I, how am I a songwriter? Am I going to have space to breathe? Do I have the dynamic range? Do I go up? Do I go down? So all these things are just art in itself. Yeah. So I think that's a great way you mentioned slow down to speed up. I'll definitely take that in, into consideration too. Awesome. 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 Cool. Thank you for joining the playroom once again, you know, yeah. and um, I didn't get a chance to ask where you're, you're, you are right now. Where are you located? I'm in Connecticut, which we're in the middle of like a lot of wind, which is why my internet keeps on going out. But uh, yeah, Connecticut's great little area in the northeast part of uh, the U.S. Yep. Awesome. How is it over there? Um, I just because you mentioned Connecticut, how is it going on with the pandemic? Are you guys okay? Are you on lockdown? What's what's happening? Yeah. Well, they locked it down pretty strongly because we're so close to New York. We're not that far. Uh, like, thankfully, I'm not right outside the city. That area, you know, in uh, Western Connecticut, is much worse. I'm in Eastern Connecticut, so it hasn't been that bad. I'm in like in a little cow town, so it's not really okay. that bad here. But the state of Connecticut, we were pretty locked down. It's loosened up now. Everything across the country is going back up, up of course. So I don't know uh, what the future holds. So, you know, I just told my wife and kids, let's enjoy the summer as much as we can, get out as much as we can while it's good. Because who knows what's going to happen in the winter. So hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get out of this soon. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, Where are you? I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. My, my um, brother-in-law is not too far down. Uh, he's, uh, he's there's a Savannah. I think there's a school of um, design. He, he's there. Oh, he's SCAD. Down. Yes. Yeah, he's down there. Yeah. Oh, that's dope. That's dope. It's yeah. an amazing school. I see a lot of potentials out there and you know art is the is the future you know we yeah, is, yeah. we have so much visual to put out there and especially we have value to bring people appreciate your art even if it's a cartoon drawing you know it's it's something that can explain that okay there's there's someone that thought about this for somebody yeah yeah thank Very you cool. so much for joining the playroom once again i'm wishing yeah. you an amazing week start you know this week is a little tense for everybody but we're all yeah. going to pull through. That's right. Amen. All right. Thanks Amen. so much. You're welcome. You too. Take yeah. care. Bye. Bye. You guys have heard it first. Another long episode with so much information. You guys have to go back and back and back, back to back and check everything that we're talking about because this is the future. This is all we're talking about. Adding value, adding propositions being the right person at the right time for the right people with the right product or service. <sighs> Feels so good right now. Oh, wow. I'm literally just taking everything in just like you did. And um, I think you guys would love the episodes coming, you know, this month. This has been a great start. And we're starting on a high note. So before we even go any further or actually leave the playroom, Check out ratethispodcast.com forward slash we don't play. You can rate this podcast. You can rate Tony G, you know, rate me. All of us are here to give information and add value to your life because that's the beginning of wealth. You know, when you're able to understand things and articulate them, then you're able to draw things down. So I don't want to go too far. And I just want to tell you guys that you have been an amazing audience. 
I can't wait for November because so much is going to be popping, <laughs> you know, in this season. So I'm looking forward to reaching out to each and every one of you. Take care. Be safe. Stay healthy. And I love you all. God bless. Have a wonderful night. Peace.